0: When I came up here and did announcements, I said I had two announcements. I only gave you one. Some of you might have noticed that and maybe didn't. Um, some of you are just ready to move on. Here's the second announcement because I wanted to share this as I started the service. Okay? Um, you're going to hear next Sunday some very important information about this church. Uh, our building committee uh, for the last year and a half has been working hard, looking around. And they came up with something, and then they went down. Then they came up, and then they found something. You know, it sort of went around, and they, they finally found something that God laid upon their heart. They brought it to the elders. The elders, the building committee, in um, complete and full, uh, unanimous agreement, have come together and say yes. And so it's exciting. And we're going to share that with you next week. And that's what we've been building up to, saying May 5th. We want you as a church to be here. is a very important um, that you're here to hear what the leadership of this church has said, we are in full agreement with this. This is exciting. Uh, This is what's next. What we feel God's laid on our heart, and it's just going to be presented to you, and that's it. We're just presented. Here you go. And um, so, please understand when we gather next week, it is a special week, and we already warned you last week, Rhonda warned you, that prom is next week in Wauseon, which means half these chairs are gone, okay? They take the chairs over to the high school, and that leaves us with the benches from the cafeteria. So, There'll be benches and there'll be chairs. Now, if we really want you to sit up close by me, we're going to put chairs right here and benches back there. Um, but I just wanted to forewarn you, let you know, you know. Some of you might come and bring your own lawn chairs. I don't care. Uh, you might bring a pillow to sit on. I don't care. Uh, I just want to know that that's what's going on next week, and I'd love to have you all here. Uh, I'd love to see it like, like Easter, like Christmas, um, with the excitement of, of what God's laying on our hearts. And with that being said, we, we shared this with you about four weeks ago that God's laid on my heart then. Since we're going to talk about the future of the church, we got to understand who the church is. So for the past three weeks, we've been talking about the church, and I want to quickly review. We, we discussed in the very first week that the church is committed, and we went to the book of Acts chapter 2, and we looked at the early church, and we talked about as a committed church, we're going to be changing, because as you grow, you change. As a little child grows and matures, that child grows. He doesn't wear the same clothes. Now I did find a picture of myself that I wore in a shirt back when I was in sixth grade and I found myself wearing that same shirt in college, okay. Now there's a reason for that, okay. (laughs) One was my size in sixth grade and the fact that the shirt was very old and I actually did made it into a cutoff but I'm sitting there going, yeah I actually sort of fit into it but boy was it an ugly shirt. Boy was it way out of style. You shouldn't be wearing clothes like that when it's that old, that ugly, that out of style. And it doesn't really didn't fit me well. So it's sort of like I needed to mature in that clothing style to the next thing that fit me at college. And so we said the same way, spiritually, we're changing, we're growing. So that should be changing in us. Uh, we are always moving forward spiritually. And so we talked in biblical terms about biblical teaching, prayer, fellowship, sharing a meal with each other, the Lord's Supper. Those are ways in which we are committed in growing as a church. And then two weeks ago we talked about the church being consecrated. Okay, sort of get these C's going. We got the committed and changing, we got the consecrated, which means holy or set apart. Oswald Chambers said the destined end of man is not happiness nor health, but holiness. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity. He came to save men because he created them to be holy. Let me hear you say, holy. That's what God created you to be, is holy. And holiness requires separation from one thing and separation to another thing. We talked about using that knife as an example and uh, what happened in the temple. Holiness is new people, new practices, new pursuits, replacing all the old habits, the old pursuits, all that. We abandon our unholy ways to pursue God's holy ways. That's the church. And last week, Pastor Dan preached on being courageous. There's the other C word. And in, in, in a world of fear and a world of worry, I believe that message was very timely. And what uh, Dan shared last week, to stand courageously with hope and peace. And, and then, so I was thinking about these three words that we've come to this point so far. And I don't know why, but somewhere along this week, during the week, a song came to my mind. Tell me if you know this song. If you're happy and you know it, there you go. See, you know it. I don't even have to finish it. So if you're happy you know it, clap your hands, so forth and so on. But the end part of that song is, um, somebody help me now. If you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. And I was thinking about that song and I thought, okay, you know what? If As a believer in Christ, if I am committed and changing, if I am consecrated, if I am courageous, is my life Surely showing it. If I'm a believer and I know it, clap my hands. I, I, you can't even change the, the, the words. You can't even make it fit. But that last part about does your life surely show it? Made me think about that. Is my life really showing who I am as a believer in Jesus Christ? Or do I look like everybody else? If I'm changing, if I'm committed, if I'm consecrated, if I'm courageous, I'm not going to look like everybody else. And my life will surely show that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus Christ, I'm sitting there thinking I should stick out like a sore thumb because I am devoted to prayer. I am devoted to the Scriptures. I am devoted to breaking bread, and, and I'm setting myself apart and being courageous. And I'm sitting there thinking my actions and my attitudes are completely different than the way the majority of this world is. And that's good. That's good. And so today in our final focus on the church, we come to that last C word. And again, you have to understand when, when over a month ago, when God laid this on my heart, it was out of Acts chapter 2. So I got through all these things, and I, and I looked, and it was like, charitable? That's giving. I've got to preach on giving, God? God, I don't know if I can do this. Seriously, I mean, when, when, when this was, and I'm looking at Acts 2, and I'm saying, here we get to. I read it clearly. The first followers of Jesus Christ were very generous and gave their possessions to God. Which means I get to preach on money and giving to this church—the dreaded sermon on tithing. Really, God? Now, you have to understand. Some of you are like, "And so I hear this all the time when I, when I grew up or whatever." And some of you are like, "Oh, we are going to talk about this. How soon we done here?" Um, you have to understand. Money's never been a huge topic at this church. That's why that's why I'm approaching the sermon and saying it this way. Okay because our very first offering went to a group of college students who were going on a mission trip down to serve with Hurricane Katrina. That was our very first offering. We had a little cardboard box and we were in the movie theater. Some of you might remember that. And up, if you remember at the movie theater, there was this podium and boom, we set the box right there on the podium. And we just stood up there and said, hey, that's where you can put your offering. We're not gonna pass the plate. We're not gonna have ushers. Just go ahead and put it in there. And we took that offering and we gave it away, the very first one. And every time we went into a new building, to the primary school and then to the Hope Center, and then we came here, we usually took our first offering and did something with it. The last time we moved, which was here, we took our first offering. And what did we do? We gave it to Haiti. And really for the earthquake and the uh, disaster that took place there to help out. Um, there's been a lot, I know, in this church, sacrifice and finances to give to others. So I'm sitting here thinking, I think we're doing pretty good ourselves on the back, right? Okay. But are we? But are we? And again, I'm not saying that prideful. You know, I want to be careful in our pride. Are we really a giving and charitable church? We have preached how many times over and over? Love God, love others. Well, love others means what? We'll go be the church. And you've been so much of a blessing to so many people. I've tasted that rice pudding. That's a blessing. And I've discovered it is really sweet. You can't take a big bowl of that at one time. You'll be sweeten the stomach, you know. It's, it's, this church is a very giving church, no doubt about it. But unfortunately, unfortunately, today's statistics don't really support that the American evangelical Christians tithe or give. See, the word in the Bible translated tithe means the 10%, one-tenth, okay? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Second Chronicles. That's in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles. You go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua Judges, Ruth, you get to those books first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and you get to first and second Chronicles. Go to Second Chronicles, the second book of Chronicles, chapter thirty one. Now while you're turning there, I want to read another scripture from a different book. So you're turning to Second Chronicles thirty one. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy. I believe we've got both scriptures up on the screen, so you know where I'm reading from. From Deuteronomy, let me read this, because we we find God giving his people directions and guidelines and laws on how to live. God said from the very beginning, when you are my people, you're set apart, these are my rules, these are my guidelines for you, this is how I want you to live. Deuteronomy 14, verses 22-23, it says this, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all, let me hear you say one-tenth of all. So whatever, all the things that you bring in, your crops, your animals, your income, whatever it may be, you take one-tenth of all of that. That's a tithe each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. So from biblical writings, we learn that tithe means 10%. 10% was given to God. Day one period, that's what it is, okay? No questions asked, no negotiating from the start. This is what God's people are supposed to do, okay? But like most things... Um, when you stop living for God, your life reflects it in many ways. We know that in, uh, in the Bible, God's people went through this roller coaster life. I'm living for God, I'm not living for God. I'm living for God, I'm not living for God. And when you're living for God, you're doing what God asks. And when you're not living for God, you're not doing what God has asked you to do. It's very simple, right? The same thing happens today. When we are living for God in the way that honors Him, we're doing the things that honor Him. But when we're not living for God, guess what? We're not honoring him with the way we live. During this time in 2 Chronicles, let's look there, 2 Chronicles chapter 31. Understand that during this time, there was sort of this roller coaster going on. And it is a point in time, and all of a sudden, King Hezekiah discovers, you know what? We're not living for God. So he makes this call to the whole nation. Hey, everybody, wake up. Look what God's been trying to tell us. And we are not, we have fallen asleep and we are not doing what we should be doing for God. And so here we are, King Hezekiah says, we're living apart from God. Look at 2 Chronicles, uh, and, th- and actually, sec- yeah, 31. We're going to read here that he calls his people to a, na- uh, to a nation to return. They send messengers to the land to return to worship God. He invites them to celebrate this Passover. And following this special time, after this Passover, they also return back to their homeland. But look what he says. When the festival ended, verse 1 of chapter 31, the Israelites who attended went to their own towns of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, and they smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles, and removed the pagan shrines and altars. After this, the Israelites returned to their own towns and homes. So these people were called back to say, You know, we've got to wake up and start living for God. So they celebrated the Passover, which was already past the Passover. But they said, you know, we're not waiting until next year's Passover. We've got to catch up. So they came in, they celebrated, and then they went back home and they said, let's clean house. This is ungodly. Get it out of our house. This is idol worship. Smash it. So they went through and cleaned up house in all their towns. Pretty incredible thing. Look at verse 2. Hezekiah then organized the priests, Levites into divisions to offer the burnt offerings and peace offerings and to worship, give thanks and praise to the Lord at the gates of the temple. The king also made a personal contribution of animals for the daily morning and evening burnt offerings, as well as for the weekly Sabbath festivals and monthly new moon festivals, and for the other annual festivals as required in the law of the Lord. In addition, he required the people in Jerusalem to bring the prescribed portion of their income to the priests and Levites, so they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. So the king says, hey, first of all, I'm setting the tone i'm taking what i have and i'm giving a portion of that to god whatever festival whatever thing that the lord has commanded i'm giving i'm giving i'm giving Giving. did you all see that from the top i'm giving now i'm telling you as written god's law many years ago it's time for you to give look at verse five the people responded immediately what we got to give to no it was all right we're in they gave immediately and generously with the first of their crops and grain and new wine, their olive oil, their honey, all the produce of the fields. They brought a tithe, 10% of all they owned. The people who had moved to Judah from Israel, the people from Judah themselves, they brought in the tithes of their cattle and sheep. A tithe of the things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God. And they piled them up in great heaps. And the first of these tithes were brought in the late spring and the heaps continued to grow until early autumn. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw these huge piles, they thanked the Lord and this people of Israel. Where did this all come from, Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites. Verse 10. And Azariah, the high priest, and the family of Zedek replied, since the people began bringing their gifts to the Lord's people, we've had enough to eat and plenty to spare. The Lord was pleased with his people. Did you hear that? I love when you go back and see these things. You know, you look at verse 4. It says, we required the people in Jerusalem bring a portion of their goods and they did they responded generously by bringing their first share it wasn't like you know when somebody says hey can I have some ice cream and you're like oh yeah yeah and you go to the freezer and you you open up and like oh it's all been dug through I'll just scrape a little bit out and and give that to them now if you got guests coming to your house you go and you buy a new container of ice cream and get it for them you don't want leftovers you want to feed your your friends leftover and your family leftover you want to go get them something special and God's saying, I don't want your leftovers. I want your first fruits. Your first fruits. So they brought that large quantity, a tithe of all that they produced. And they brought it in and it says there were these he- huge heaps of generosity. Can you imagine people coming in and, and just bringing their tithes and just stored and pot up and pot up and looks at it and say, wow, people are so generous and giving, right? See, when people, when God's people got their hearts right with god they took their best their first fruits not their leftovers their first fruits and they brought it to the place of worship and they gave it back to god but they gave it back to god because it got right with god in their hearts first they didn't do it because somebody banged them over the head and did that they did it because they were right with god and they said we've got to do what god's asked us to do now let me ask you this where are we today with that like like biblical times, do we give our first fruits? When a paycheck comes in, do we go right there and say 10% psh, cut off? It's just right to God. In 2011, it was reported that the evangelical Christian gave or tithe 2.4%. I think it's incredible that today we're commanded to tithe meaning 10%, and yet in America, the average person gave only a quarter of 10%. 2.4%. Old Testament, actually, Chip Ingram studied this and he said that God's people actually gave 23 to 25% to God. Could you imagine taking 25% of your paycheck and just giving that to God right off the top? Someone's like, well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, I understand, it's Old Testament. That's all right, relax, relax. Some of you are like, and all of a sudden you just get a firm grip on your, on your wallet. 25. There was a study by an accountant. I don't want to let you know, I'm not picking on you. There was a CPA who did uh, taxes, and he, he actually worked with over 260 pastors, pastors, men of God. And it revealed that 4% of those pastors didn't even tithe. Out of those 260, 10 of them didn't even open up their hands and give back to God. He didn't even say how many gave less than 10%. It's everybody. It's everybody. When it comes to giving, we may do well as giving away our leftovers. I think we're all good with that. Now oh, Let's see, what can I get rid of that I don't use anymore? We're good with that. I'm good with that, okay? But how are we doing with giving away our first fruits? I saw an interesting comment by Winston Churchill. Okay, I know this sort of moves away here from the Bible, but he made an interesting comment. He said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. I thought that was interesting. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. As a pastor, you need to understand that I don't like preaching about money and giving. I don't. You've, you can already tell that by what I've said in my, in my initial comments. And here's why. I'm going to tell you the reasons why I don't like preaching on this, and then I'm going to preach on it. Okay. Here's the deal. Uh, for a long time, pastors were viewed as, as a, a bunch of professional swindlers. Okay. Remember the days of the TV evangelists becoming millionaires, and a lot of people in ministry uh, labeled anybody then behind the pulpit as being uh, greedy and a swindler and trying to figure out how to get to your, into your pocket, Right? So pastors like me, we don't want to be labeled that way. So we don't teach about it. I'm not going to teach about that because I don't want to be labeled that way. Do I need to tell you how many people, uh, you know, say, oh, yeah, all you pastor do is talk about money. Well, We don't, but it's perceived that way. I don't like those false perceptions. And here's another reason. For my personal feelings, I I don't want to ask. Um, For other reasons, I, I don't ask. Uh, I was so tired of hearing churches worry about finances and financial commitments. And the number one topic of discussion was always finances. And it's like, I'm so tired of hearing about finances. I don't want to talk about it. So personally, don't want to talk about it. After all, you know, I don't know. You know, here's another reason. I don't know what you make for a living. I don't know how many of you in this room right now are struggling financially. I don't know how many of you are out of work. And I'm sitting there thinking. Oh, so, is it right for me to approach somebody who's out of job, who has a low income, and ask them to give? Is that right of me as a pastor? But then I read in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 an interesting story about Elijah, and Elijah uh, got word from God. God said, "Hey, Elijah, go and live in the village of Zephra, and I've instructed a widow there to feed you." So Elijah goes to this city, and he finds this widow. And uh, he said, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And, and so she did, and she's going to get it. And, and he said, can you bring me a bite of bread too? And she goes, she goes this, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. She's a widow with a son. She's broke, no income. He said, I swear by you, the Lord your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal so that my son and I could die. Okay, now if I was Elijah, a man of God, okay, today's translation of pastor, and God told me, hey, I'd like you over to the, to the, the Rupal's house and ask them to take care of you. you know, they got a strong family, you know, Big family, husband, wife, great family. We're not talking about a widow and one son. Okay, we're talking about family. And I go up and say, hey, uh, can I get a drink of water? And Nate's like, yeah, okay. Can I have an egg? Mm, do I have an egg? i got some bread. Okay, can I have a piece of bread? And Nate's like, well, actually, we we're just going to go and actually cook our last meal, and then we're just going to die because we have nothing. Okay, thanks, Nate. I like my bread with a little bit of butter on it. Okay, now how insensitive does that sound of me? Okay. I should be sitting there going, oh, "I am so sorry, I didn't know you're in such a dire need." Uh, forget it. Oh, oh, God, what'd you do? Send me to them for? I make me feel really guilty. Okay, now understand, this is what's happening in the story. But Elijah said to her, "Don't be afraid. Go do what you just said, but make a little bread for me first." Seriously, Elijah. Then use what's left over to prepare meal for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour, always enough olive oil left in a container, just as the Lord had promised. Here Elijah seeks from this will of the last portion of her meal. She has nothing left. You know, with nothing... I mean, here's the deal, too. We need to understand this. She wasn't even a believer in God. She wasn't even a Christian in today's terms. You know? She didn't follow Christ, but she still did what this man of God asked. Because of her obedience and her act of faith, God took care of her and her son. And I'm sitting there and saying there are times when it's easy to say, I don't want to preach on money because I don't know who has money out here and I don't want them to feel, you know, like, oh, this is going to put a strain on them. God's saying, oh. did you read that story in First Kings? If you're supposed to preach on it, you preach on it. If you're supposed to talk about it, you talk about it. If it's a part of the command, you follow the command. God will take care of you, right? But I don't preach on money because it seems like such a a private issue, right? Let's be real. Talking with people outside of church, money conversations, that's like a big taboo. That's like talking about being intimate with your spouse or talking about religion. You just don't talk about stuff like that. You talk about that stuff at home and private, right? Money has something to do that intimate place in our hearts, and we say, I'm very private about this, I don't want to talk my expenses with you, okay? It's, maybe it's because we feel secure with, with finances. If we feel very secure about it in our heart and we share that with somebody else, there's an opportunity where somebody might accidentally betray us when we share our finances. So you see, we fear a being dependent on others because the idea of dependence is a threat to our security. Think that through. That's my fear. I grew up on a farm. I grew up, you know, hey, you're be independent, you know. Get it done. I don't need this and I don't need that, but yet I, I didn't understand that really I was very dependent on the family and in the, in the, on the farm. But we teach independence. We do things on our own. We don't ask for help. We teach people that you shouldn't have to depend on others. Stand up, do this on your own, right? It's a very common thing, I believe, in America to teach that, to talk about that. But if we remember a few weeks ago, we looked in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the early church was very what? Very dependent upon each other. Not independent. To be independent is really not a Christ-like character. To be dependent upon one another is a Christ-like character, but our dependence is first on who? On God. Not on things and others, but upon God first. We have to be dependent people. Living for Jesus Christ can't be done alone. So we are dependent upon God first. He knows Our need for security and our security is not found in things it's found in god in the bible matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21 it says this don't store up treasures here on earth don't put your security here on things only where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal them store your treasures in heaven our security is not on earthly things our security is in heavenly things Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break it and steal. Wherever your treasure is, guess what? That's where your heart is. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Our security must be in God, not things. Our heart can't be divided. Jesus went on to say in Luke chapter 16, he said this, no one can serve two masters because you're going to hate one and you're going to love the other. You're going to serve one and you're not going to serve the other. You can't serve both God and you can't serve money. Our trust must be in God first. Proverbs eleven twenty eight 28 says this. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves and spring. See, I don't preach on money for a lot of reasons. And, you know, I don't preach on money because I don't want to be perceived as being greedy. And I don't want to preach on money because I want people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior first. That's my passion. I want you to know Jesus Christ. I want you in heaven with me. I want you to know how to pray. I want you to know how to handle um, your relationships and, and struggles that you go through life. I want to preach on these things in the Bible. And, and to me, uh, what does money have to do with the Bible? You know, I want to see people devoted in prayer. I want people to see standing courageously for Christ. I want to see people just persevere and keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. i have got to preach on those things any day of the week. Preach on money? seems so irreligious. So I have my excuses for why I don't preach on giving. And I've now shared them with you, okay? Been very transparent with you in sharing those. I have fears for preaching on giving. So we don't pass the plate because of that. Six years ago when we started the church, we don't pass the plate, you know why? Because of my fears. We don't take up an offering during the worship service because of my fears. Guess what? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Giving is a huge part of worship. Giving is biblical. It's a mark of Christianity. And my life should surely show it, as should yours. Regardless of how I feel perceived, regardless of what is said about me, what is said about this church, what is said about you, We have an obligation and a command to give. The Bible speaks about money over 2,000 times. Take faith, take love, take prayer, add those three up and it doesn't match the number of times the Bible speaks about our management of our resources and money. 16 of 38 Christ parables involve the management of wealth and resources. Because God commands it, because Jesus talked about it, we have to talk about it too. So my apologies to you as a church for not talking about it in six years. It's far overdue. And am I talking about it because we got plans for the future? No, I'm talking about it because I've robbed you the joy of worship. And I don't want to rob you that joy of worshiping God anymore. Here's the deal. If we trust in God and not in money and things, then we are able to go to God freely and say, God, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? that you've given me, whether it's a little or a lot. What do I do with it? What do I do with it? God gives us a resource. He gives us paychecks. paycheck. So this is what we're going to do. In the next five, ten minutes, I'm just going to share four ways, four things you can do with the money that God's given you, with the resources God's given you. Here's the first thing that you can do, first thing I can do, is that God gives us so we can give to God to honor God. Okay, That paycheck that comes in your hand, those resources come in your hand, the first thing you do with that is give to God, honor God with it period. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Can you argue with that? Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. We honor God with our prayers, right? We honor God with our voices when we sing in here Sunday morning. We honor God with with working with children and our gifts, our talents. And we're to honor God with our finances as well. To tithe is to give the best of everything we produce. Giving's part of worship, and I said, when we're praying about how we need to start making this part of the worship sh- service, we're, we're praying about it. how do we, how do we? Okay, we've got the blessings box we've done for six years. Do we, do we just give that up? Do we do something different? I don't know what we're praying about right now. How do we truly get giving back into the worship services the way it should be, without making it a, a big taboo thing? We're praying about that, but we need to realize this: when you write a check, when you open up your wall, when you pull out any amount of money you are giving back to god a portion of what he's given to you in an act of gratitude you're thanking god you're saying god thank you for what you've given me because you gave something i've given back to you you place something in my hands and i'm giving back to you now that's what it is you know you think about this in holidays people give us gifts like oh i need to give them something too and god gives us something all the time and do we give back to him well, I, I gave him my voice. I, I gave him my talent. I gave him, I give him my prayers. I give him, I give him five minutes in the morning when I read the Bible. I'm talking about that. It's also an act of faith. When you open your wallet and you don't see much there and you're like, oh, all I got is that left. I better hold on to that just in case. But you know, when you take that money out and you say, you know what, this is, this is God. This is the portion I'm supposed to be giving to him and you give it to him and your wallet's empty, you're like, you know what, God's going to take care of me. I know he will an act of faith. It's a biblical principle that I was taught as a child. You know, I grew up seeing it in our house. I graduated from college. My mom and dad, you know, lived on a farm. We had to sell the farm when I was a junior in college. They didn't have money. They told me when I was going off, you know, I was the last of six kids. We don't have money to help you with college. You're on your own. So I go off to Taylor University, and if you know anything about that school, it wasn't exactly a cheap school, and so I graduate. I moved to Wausea and I've got an apartment. So I'm paying my apartment. I'm paying off my school loan and, you know, I'm making the salary as a youth pastor. And and uh, guess what? 10% right off the top goes to God. You know why? Because that's what I was taught from the Bible, from my parents. That's the way it is. No arguments. And then I got married. Nothing changed. 10% right off. Whatever Jenny made, whatever I made, came together. 10% first thing. Okay, now I'm married. Three kids. I can't believe this. Two years from now, I've Kid going to college, that's a lump in the throat. The budget gets tight, guess what? 10% right off the top. It doesn't change. We've had this before. 10% off the top. If the budget gets tight, guess what? We cut clothing, we cut eating out, we cut household items. Just look down the budget. Where else do we cut? Because we aren't cutting that 10%. That doesn't change. I share that. I want to listen to me. I share that not the brag. I share that to tell you that that's part of our worshiping God. We trust God. We trust God. We're thankful for all that he's given us, and we give back to him freely, regardless of the situation. It's a part of worshiping God, my friends. God sees that, and he honors that. You know, if you're like me, we, if you're like me, you've probably read Mark chapter 12 before, verses 41 to 44, and you've probably never seen this. Turn with me to the book of Mark, please. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, second book in the New Testament. This is a story that we have all read, we've all heard, I'm sure, and we've glanced right over it. I want to just share an interesting point here because it just floors me. Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44. Let's listen carefully to this. Starting in verse 41. Jesus went over to the collection box in the temple, and sat down and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Now many rich people put in large amounts, and a poor widow came and dropped in two pennies. And he called his disciples and said, Hey, I assure you, this poor widow has given more than all the others that have ever given, for they gave a tiny point of their, a part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has just given everything she has. Do you, you remember that story? When we all look at that story, and if I were to say, hey, raise your hand, tell me what sticks out in that, probably the majority of us would probably say, well, with, we usually focus on the truth that this poor widow gave all she had. It's a good passage to preach on being generous and giving it all to God. You know, that's how I've always heard that, that passage preached and taught. And then, you know what sticks out to me as I was reading this this week and studying it? Jesus is sitting next to the collection box. Did anybody catch that? Check that out. How would you like it if Sunday mornings, we had the blessings box. And there's Jesus sitting right next to it. Good morning. Yep. Nice, that was a good one, yeah. Uh More. Okay, that's close enough. Okay, now Jesus obviously didn't do that, but when you read that scripture, did you see that? Read it again. Jesus went over to the collection box in the temple and sat and watched as the crowds came in. You talk about intimidating. I'm coming into worship that day. Jesus is here. Honey, you got anything? Let's get it out. We obviously don't do that now, right? But here's the deal. Here's the truth. Jesus doesn't sit by our blessing box. He doesn't, okay? And he isn't the usher. He isn't the one walking down the aisles, passing the plate. That's not Jesus, okay? But he sits in your heart. He sits in my heart. He knows exactly what's going on. And he knows exactly the motive for what's going on. Out of reverence to a holy God and our trying to live a holy life, I give back to him. Here's the second thing that God gives us to give so we can honor him. Here's the second thing. God gives to us to provide for our family. The well-being of your family trumps buying any personal toys or extracurricular purchases. You know, we've taken that financial peace class with Dave Ramsey. I'd highly suggest it to all of you. Okay? But as you take that class, you learn about the budget. And in the budget, there's this place called uh, Mad Money or sort of that leftover. It's that extra, it's that spend money, it's the fund money. Uh, we call it Mad Money. Basically, you take the first portion of your check, you give it to God, okay? No question asked. give it to God. Then the next part, you start paying off the bills, taking care of all the bills, the expenses. You put money in savings, and then you have that little small portion left over, which is the fund money, the spend money, okay? Now, with that mad money, that's a little extra cash. There have been cash. There's been extra multiple times when I've, I know in our family, we've seen, okay, somebody needs help in our family, or somebody we know needs help, and what do we do? Guess what God gave us? He gave us that little extra spend money, that trumps everything else. Go we'll take care of family. Take care of family, okay? First Timothy five eight says this, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied their true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Third thing that God gives to us is to support our country. Uh, I'm, I know some of you don't want to hear this, okay? Roads have to be paid. Taxes have to be paid. Schools have to be taken care of. I would rather keep my tax money, wouldn't you? I think we all would. Like, yeah. But guess what? Paul says, "Give to everyone what you owe them." Romans thirteen seven. Pay your taxes, your government fees to those who collect them. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. The government is in authority over us. We have got pay taxes, pay taxes. Enough said. We need to support our country. Last thing is this finally gives us to enjoy. You know, I already shared with you that you know, giving our tithe back to God, we take care of the bills, we take care of the expenses, we give, you know, we take care of all the spots, and we have some leftover money to spend. You know what? have fun. Save up for a vacation. Go out to eat. Two bucks. Ice cream. Let's go get a couple ice cream cones. You know, whatever. God gave it to you to have fun as well. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. I'm telling you, this was not an easy sermon to preach because it seems very personal. It is. But guess what? Our faith isn't personal. And our life isn't personal. Our lives are a living billboard for the world to view and see. Our faith is broadcasted by how we live and our finances are going to speak louder than any other part of our life. So let me ask you this. What is God telling you today? Are we a charitable church? Are we a giving church? Are we giving back to God as he so richly deserves? And and I believe we are a church that loves God and loves others. I, I, I honestly believe that. You would never hear me doubt that otherwise. I know you love God. I know you love each other. I know you're a giving church but is there more that we need to be doing for God? That's between you and God. And you have to answer that. He's not sitting next to that, but he is sitting in your heart, and he knows it. He knows it. It's not about being rich. It's about a matter of generosity. Isaiah thirty-two-eight says this, but generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Uh, worship team, would you come forward? And as they're coming forward, would you all stand? I want to read one more scripture with you as you stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as I was reading this uh, I, want, I just want to conclude with the scripture I want to conclude with the scripture now I want you to know dear brothers and sisters what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia they're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor but they're also filled with abundant joy which is overflowed in rich generosity for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford but they gave far more and they did it of their own free will. You know, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we hoped for, for their action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. I want to emphasize that last part of what Paul says. They did more than what we hoped for, because why? Because their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. First step first step out of today as you walk out of here is this, you've given your heart fully to God being a part of the church is that changing that that, uh, that, then the, uh, the chari- I'm sorry, the changing and then the consecrated and then the courageous but it's also the charitable but it starts back with your heart where are you at with giving your heart to God? Next step of faith is, what are you giving back to God? Before you say, God, what can I give back to you? Before you say, what can I give back to you, God? 10%, whatever, you need to step back and say, God, am I right with you? That's first step. That's the first step. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God. Lord, I, I know that we as a church we truly want to worship you. We truly want to love others. Lord, sometimes we need a little redirection and a little calibration of, to get us back on track. And Lord, in my heart, I just felt oh, over this past week that I've robbed this church of the joy of giving because of my fears of how we would be perceived or I'd be perceived because I didn't want to make money the emphasis Lord, we give the way we give. Lord, if we let you down, if I've let you down, forgive me. Forgive us as a church. Lord, we want to be generous in giving back to you cuz that honors you. Lord, start in our heart. Work in our heart first. We want to be faithful to you and connected to you. So we confess to you. So Lord, we give you our heart first. And then Lord, just speak to our hearts and tell us what we need to give next and how to give. How to take care of our families. How to respect our authority. And how to have fun. To enjoy life as you've given it to its fullest. Thank you for this morning, this time of worship. Lord, as we sing to you, I ask that you continue to work in our hearts. In the name we pray. Amen.